A Non-Philosopher's Guide to Plato. Why is an elephant large, grey, and wrinkled? Because if she were small, white, and round, she'd be an aspirin. Platonic joke you will understand after reading this post. The ancient Greek philosopher Plato still influences popular culture, art, and thought 2,400 years after his death in 348 BC he and his mentor Socrates are fascinating characters of 5th and 4th century BC Athens, but understanding their ideas can take a lot of work. For anyone who wants to dip a toe in the waters of platonic thinking or just get the elephant joke, here's some essential background on the occasion of the Getty Villa exhibition Plato in LA, Contemporary Artists' Visions. 1. I had the pleasure of serving as the education liaison for the exhibition, which meant reading and commenting on gallery texts and helping plan programs around platonic philosophy and contemporary art. Let's start with Socrates. Socrates, about 470-399 BC, lived a life devoted to philosophy, Greek for love of wisdom in his view, a search to understand truth and justice through dialogue. Physically, he was famously snub-nosed and balding like Silenus, an old satyr who was the tutor of the wine god Bacchus. Socrates's spoken words survive through his students Plato and Xenophon, who recreated and reimagined their teachers' conversations based on their own and others' recollections, and also reported on the self-defense speech he gave at his trial. Socrates seems to have been an honorable, loyal, stubborn, and pious man who genuinely believed that the god Apollo wanted him to question and debate his fellow citizens in pursuit of truth. Socrates sought to clarify the meaning of concepts such as beauty and goodness and the more practical matter of how to lead a just life. He thought that the world had an inherent order, it was good, and we should seek to understand it. Bad people were simply ignorant, since behaving with justice and truthfulness was only logical. He believed, or Plato did while crediting him, that individuals and society could be made substantially better, more virtuous, and happier with proper training and oversight by philosophers. Socrates's friend Cherophon supposedly asked the respected oracle of Apollo at Delphi whether anyone was wiser than Socrates, and was told that indeed no one was. On a lifelong search for truth, Socrates knew this could not be so, and eventually decided that his own wisdom lay in knowing what he did not know, and in helping others recognize their limitations. He deeply affected those who talked with him at length. In the later 5th and 4th centuries BC, Athens was a hotbed of self-styled experts, sophists, who were too often salesmen and charlatans. They took money to educate people in various subjects, including philosophy, and were known for teaching how to make convincing arguments regardless of truth. Socrates was lumped in with such people in the public mind, though he took no money and did not sell doctrines or techniques, but rather talked to anyone who would talk back. The philosopher must have been infuriating, his probing questions exposed others' shaky logic and opinions and encouraged young men to question their elders. The comic playwright Aristophanes made fun of his weird behavior in both clouds and birds. Socrates probably also elicited enmity for his oligarchic connections, and possibly for his views on an ideal, undemocratic state. This was to be run not by the people but by suitable philosopher kings, as described by Plato in The Republic. The experiences of the long, debilitating Peloponnesian War, 431-404 BC, showed Socrates and Plato that most people were not ruled by reason. 
ultimately convicted of impiety and corrupting the youth in 399 BC, Socrates was too honorable and stubborn to suggest a reasonable penalty, as was allowed prior to sentencing. Instead he proposed that he be fed at public expense in the council hall, like a victorious athlete, for doing the city good with his questioning of know-it-alls. Then he proposed a fine. When he was instead sentenced to death, he refused to betray his social contract with Athens by attempting escape, and died drinking state-supplied hemlock. Plato, about 428-347 BC, was a loyal follower of Socrates who decided to carry on his legacy. When he began to publish his own philosophical beliefs, he did so by recreating Socrates's conversations with fellow Athenians, honoring the mentor who had profoundly influenced his thinking and whose death had been so unjust. Plato left himself out of these conversations except for two incidental references at important moments, in Apology 34a, Socrates mentions, during his trial, that Plato is present in the courtroom, and in Phaedo 59b, Phaedo says he thinks Plato was ill and thus absent from Socrates's state-assisted suicide, which was attended by other friends. In his dialogues, Plato sometimes simplifies the replies of Socrates's interlocutors, the word philosophers use to avoid saying the person taking part in the conversation. He cuts to the chase, focuses on his mentor, and curtails some of the answers to Socrates's questions. Thus there is a fair amount along the lines of, why yes, Socrates. And, it would seem so, Socrates, and not much in the way of complaints about being unfairly backed into a corner. After leaving Athens for a time after Socrates's death, Plato returned and eventually established the academy in a shady grove that was possibly the sanctuary of a local hero named Academos or Hecademos. This is the scholarly setting after which modern schools of higher education are named. Plato knew that static text is less conducive to understanding than guided, participatory conversation, yet he used text to spread his ideas. Why? Despite its fame, Athens was a fairly small town in Plato's day, especially once slaves, women, working non-citizens, and people without leisure to debate the meaning of life are discounted. The people who did count all knew one another, or of one another. Although it is hard to determine, the male citizen population may have been 30,000, of whom a quarter actively participated in running the state in one way or another. Socrates could make a name just by being out in public and talking. But Plato's written dialogues reached well beyond the city, and across time. And now here we are, thousands of years later, still talking about Plato and his teacher. What about the elephant joke? One of Plato's most influential concepts is that of the invisible realm of ideal forms. In the physical world, we perceive abstract concepts such as beauty imperfectly, people come up with many different definitions of what is beautiful. Similarly there are many types of physical objects, and we perceive them differently from different angles. But beauty itself, indivisible and perfect, exists in an intellectual, invisible world, as does the essence, the perfect form of a bed, or a mathematical concept. We can't see 2 plus 2 equals 4, or equality, although we can see their physical manifestations. But they are still true and permanent. Socrates and Plato thought the world was ordered and logical, and that we can understand it by developing our intellect, just as we can understand mathematical equations. Because the invisible, intellectual realm is hard to comprehend, the philosophers used analogies and allegories to help their interlocutors.
That's the point of the philosophical elephant joke, the platonic ideal form, the essence, of an elephant is not the same as the ideal form of an aspirin. Limitations of writing in the pursuit of knowledge. Writing, Phaedrus, has this strange quality, and is very like painting, for the creatures of painting stand like living beings, but if one asks them a question, they preserve a solemn silence. Plato, Phaedrus 275d. Socrates, addressing Phaedrus, points out the limitation of both painting and text, their static nature does not permit engagement through dialogue, which is the philosopher's path to genuine understanding. Ironically, of course, Socrates's conversations are fixed by Plato in static text. As being is to becoming, so is pure intellect to opinion. And as intellect is to opinion, so is science to belief, and understanding to the perception of shadows. But let us defer the further correlation and subdivision of the subjects of opinion and of intellect, for it will be a long inquiry, many times longer than this has been. Plato, Republic 534a. The analogy of the divided line can be difficult to grasp, especially since different translators render the Greek words differently. In essence, it is this, ideal forms exist in an invisible realm of being, distinct from our ordinary physical world of becoming. The philosophical journey carries us past unfounded conjectures and beliefs grounded in the physical world of the senses all the way to intellectual, rational understanding of the unseen world. Understanding is not based on data validated in the real world. A scientific hypothesis is tested against real-world results, but a philosophical hypothesis is tested through closely reasoned debate that refines understanding by eliminating illogical, conflicting beliefs and perceptions. It is an intellectual practice. The allegory of the cave. Just as puppet showmen have screens in front of them at which they work their puppets. Plato, Republic 514a. Plato compares the perceptions of prisoners chained in a cave, who believe reality is the shadows on the wall cast by puppeteers, with our ignorance, our faulty perceptions of reality and our inability to perceive the ideal and truth. Observing and misunderstanding such shadows is the lowest form of interpreting the world, using the senses rather than the intellect. We all start out like prisoners in a cave, believing shadows are reality, and gain knowledge through exercising our rational minds. Returning to the analogy of the divided line, shadows represent the most ignorant perceptions in the physical world of becoming, while ideal forms reflect the highest level of knowledge. The ideal. The forms that enter and depart are copies of those that are always existent, being stamped from them in a fashion marvelous and hard to describe. Plato, Timaeus 50c. This quotation references the invisible, intellectual realm of ideal, eternal forms. Plato uses analogies and allegories, including the analogy of the divided line and the allegory of the cave, to explain our faulty perceptions and to compare objects and concepts in our material world with the unchanging forms in the ideal world. Dialectics. This is the best way of life, to live and die in the pursuit of righteousness and all other virtues. Plato, Gorgias 527e. The quotation comes in a dialogue about using oratory for the purpose of pursuing a just life. Dialectics, the title of the final gallery of the exhibition, are skillful, cooperative discussions about the logic of assumptions. According to Aristotle, it was Zeno of Elia, an older contemporary of Socrates, who invented the dialectical method, 
a logical approach to inquiry that helps philosophers pursue different possible conclusions about a subject and eliminate irreconcilable conflicts. The ultimate goal is to recognize the ideal and lead a good life. Learning is painful, however, and agreement is not easily achieved. Socrates was condemned to death, Plato was perhaps imprisoned while trying to teach the tyrant of Syracuse how to be a good king. From Plato's student Aristotle on, philosophers have argued about life's goals and how to attain them.